Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 19th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Hello and good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell. The City of Bloomington's Black History Month Gala was held Saturday, this past Saturday. The gala offered an opportunity to acknowledge and honor and celebrate the accomplishments of African Americans who have devoted their time, talents, and resources to make a difference in the Bloomington committee, a community, and beyond. The evening was filled with fine dining, Great music and dancing as recognitions were made for the 2024 Living Legend Award recipient and the Commission on the Status of Black Males Outstanding Black Leaders of Tomorrow recipients. Receiving the honor as the 2024 Living Legend was Elizabeth Ann Bridgewater's affectionately known as Betty. Along with Miss Bridgewater's recognition, the Outstanding Black Leader of Tomorrow's Male Adult Award went to Mr. Iverson uh, Dumerville, and the Female Adult Award was awarded to Ms. Shayla George, the Outstanding Black Leader of Tomorrow's Male High School Award recipient was Mr. Aiden Woods. Finally, the Female High School Award recipient was Ms. J.L. Davis. And we're so thrilled to have joining us this evening two of those notable awardees. Uh, the first is, of course, Miss Betty Bridgewaters and Miss J.L. Davis. Ladies, welcome to Bring It On. Yes, welcome. We're glad to have you. We are grateful to be here. Thank you for having us. I, I know we had a whirlwind evening. You probably didn't get home till three in the morning. You've been resting, recuperating all day. Just, your feet are tired and but it was a wonderful evening. It was it was something to remember uh, for a lifetime. And we want to uh, sort of ask some questions. We'll start, uh, Betty, if you will, with uh, JL. Uh, we had a, a few questions for her. Um, JL, I, I, I look back on, on your uh, profile and my goodness, for someone your age, you've accomplished a lot. And you're just now starting out. Uh, you you have, uh, as they say, many miles to go until you um, you can begin to coast. But my goodness, you're you're sort of setting the bar. But as an outstanding leader for tomorrow and a catalyst for change, then the first question I have is, uh, who are your role models? So one of my role models has to be my mom. She's always encouraging me to be better and do things that make me happy, but also being an empath for other people. And when I see that something is wrong, I'm able to stand up and say, hey, that's wrong and create change, even if it's like a small thing. Like my mom has always encouraged me to be different from other people. Don't just go with the crowd. If you see someone that is like upset or hurting, don't turn a blind eye to it try to console them, try to help them and see what you can do to 
make somebody's day better. So she's always taught me like the kindness aspect. Um, another one of my role models would definitely be um, Martin Luther King Jr. Because number one, he's like a historical figure for a civil rights movement, but also because through all the adversity, he still somehow managed to do a nonviolent movement, which is so amazing to me because like, sometimes it's really hard to just even take that with words so imagine physically taking that as well and i that's awesome like that's awesome that someone can do that with nonviolence. and then lastly my role model would definitely be my brother my brother has always encouraged me to do better and to be um just like an academic weapon i hate to say it like that but an academic yes. weapon <laughs> um he's always encouraged me to keep going no matter how much um like adversity i'm going through or no matter how um how how hard it can be to keep pushing so he's always been my encourager and motivator you know that was a moving uh tribute to to reggie and of course i've i've known reggie uh when he was about 3 or four years old and uh yeah if if he's looking down smiling uh because um, he thought the world of you and everyone in the families but but uh, i was really moved by those words you have for your brother um liz um jl i really like that term academic weapon i absolutely love it because i encourage students uh especially black students, that some, it was always thought that an educated black person was dangerous. And I say be dangerous because anything else could be taken from you, but not what you've learned. So you do a lot, just like Clarence had just mentioned. Academically, you do a lot. You uh, can graduate from high school as a junior, but you're going to stay this extra year, you have a job, you're taking college courses. Tell me about your time management. How do you get all this done in a day? <laughs> there is a lot, um, but I think it's just my motivation to always um, do better. I don't know. Maybe it's my motivation to like balance things out, but the way I time manage, like, um, for instances, like clubs, interviews, academics, mm -hmm. I always have like a set schedule throughout the day, what I need to do and what I can get done. Something that really helps me is like to-do list, even though I might not be able to check everything off on that list in that day, it reminds me that I've at least completed something. And mm -hmm. um, I just have a very uh, productive mindset I like to get things done. And I think that's kind of like my motivation to always manage my time. So in a day, what is your top priority in a day? My top priority would probably be to get my schoolwork done. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because I have so many um, like honors and AP classes and college classes, it can be a lot sometimes. So I try to spend at least 30 minutes to an hour on whatever subject that I'm working on. And then after that, um, I like do things for clubs. And then I have like some self time, self care time for myself at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. well, thank you. Yeah. Well, we're gonna shift over to uh, Miss. Bridgewaters. Miss Bridgewaters, can I call you Betty? Please do. 
All right. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wanted to, but I I'll answer to that. Some people okay. say I listen and I don't acknowledge them, and then they say it two or three times, and finally I'll say, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, now, Betty, as a living and impactful legend, and also a catalyst for change. Uh, who were your role models? Oh, man, I had a lot of influences. I don't know that I had role models. I agree with uh, J.L. Davis, uh, my mother, of course. Um, there were so many who really influenced me heavily. Frances Marshall Eagleson, she, she really was quite a lady and, and definitely a proponent of higher education and did so much, even though she was a widow and had two young children, she just kept going and doing all she could. She went back to school, got a great degree in business administration so that she could be the registrar at North Carolina Central. And now I think it's not North Carolina State University. It's changed names over and over. It started off as North Carolina School for for Colored. But, huh. you know, it's it's changed over and over. And it was wonderful that Dr. Nelms is, is a former president of That's right. uh, That's right. the school. And uh, so... I had males who influenced me and lifted me up. I am a person who always loved quotations. I started that in high school, and that was my inspiration. And, and you know, it could be whomever. Um, <clears throat> Frederick Douglass had a lot that were excellent. Uh, it was, uh, I was going to say, it was uh, just, just so many. Martin Luther King, there were just so many. And I stayed with the quotes and their histories, and it was inspirational. I'm more a person who is inspired by those things and what people say. You know, uh, you have a quote there on your wall. You know, um, it's, and of course, I'm Christian. I grew up with a lot of Bible. I don't, I didn't memorize Bible verses and stuff so I could, you know, win a, win a competition, competition in a, in a, a conversation. But to minister to it, you know, it's like um, in all things, give thanks. And there were times when, you know, you you feel like you're in a pile of poop and you keep digging, you know, there's a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> and I keep saying, well, in all things, give thanks. And it's blessed me to always make that turn and keep going and keep going, you know, not to be dissuaded or discouraged because you know there aren't that many people who are going to be in your front row right and your cheerleader so i try to be that that's one thing i definitely in my life wanted to be you know always an encourager and a cheerleader for other people not not just championing my own causes but Mm -hmm. just be you know if i look at something and it's really ugly from my perspective i'll say Lord, don't ever let me be like that. And I would try to focus to make that work for me as a better person, Mm -hmm. a better reaction to things. Mm -hmm. And I've been blessed and highly favored. And I certainly felt that yesterday. There's no question. Well, it was it was really truly a love fest for all the recipients. And we're just so grateful that we have uh, two ladies on who sort of represent uh, 
Uh, in some ways, both spectrums, uh, one who is starting out in her young life and turning heads and has stood um, in the gap uh, when when there was uh, there were some issues at MCCSC and primarily at her high, at her high school. Um, she was an advocate for change. And we've interviewed you before, JL, a number of times, um, even in the in the heat of things when they were still deliberating on what to do. Uh, to correct some policy. Uh, how did that impact you? I mean, how did you sort of get the courage to speak truth to power? Well, I feel like I've always been like sort of outspoken about issues like that. And like to actually see it like real time, like so blatant and so like n- non-subtle it was like really hard for me to just not say anything about it because I'm from Indy and I actually grew up around predominantly black people so I never really had like um like a like a an idea of like how very blatant racism can be I mean we talked about it in class but not till I really came here I realized like how like sometimes ignorant and unaware people can be um, just in society as a whole. And that's what made me want to speak up because some people are just blatantly uneducated. And I feel like um, it's important to educate people and let them know that what they're doing is wrong because sometimes they won't won't stop. I think we have competing technology there, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, yeah, you know, you, you talk about uh, just you're confronted with a situation and then something, I would say, gets into your soul uh, to say, no, we're not going to back down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from whence you've come and, and who you are. And I think with any change agent, any individual that's going to be a change agent, you have to know who you are. And um, and you got to step out of yourself. Uh, but uh, you you did so in an admirable fashion. And we've talked about this at least on three different interviews. You and a core group of young ladies and a, and a gentleman, uh, as I recall, you all stood the line, and you made it a lot better. Uh, Betty, you know, I want to I want to shift, and then Liz, I want to turn this over to you. But what are your top three wow moments? Um, and, and I know you've had probably a number of them, uh, just by virtue of the fact that you've lived and, uh, one as a child, what was a, what was a wild moment as a child? What was a wild moment as a young adult? And now as an adult, uh, what wild moment have you experienced? As a child, I was blessed, unlike jail, I been the pepper flake in the salt box in Bloomington. We were a dominantly white community, and almost always when I look around wherever I was, I was the only person of color. Mm-hmm. In elementary school, that was true. In high school, in most of my classes, I think my homeroom, there were a few other people of color, but for the most part, it was just me. Uh, in elementary school, except for the fourth grade, there was one young woman whose father was here to get his master's and so she was at St. Charles in fourth grade and that's the only other time there was a colored person Mm -hmm. until I I reached high school and uh, but the wow moment was 
I, I've had, as you say, I've had so many. I was in Girl Scouts, brownies and then Girl Scouts, and they had me be Mr. It was the United Fund back then, not the United mm-hmm. Way. The United Fund had a father daughter banquet, and they decided I would be the mistress of ceremonies. And of course, I was sort of dauntless, so I would stand up for the task and what have you. And I, when I went to the podium, I looked out and here all these bald pates, and my father was in the uh, group as well. But um, I guess that was the first time I had been in that kind of a position where people were all looking at me and expecting me to carry things on. And I did it successfully. But um, Frank, um, I always, when I'm trying to think of multitasking, think of a hundred things. As you get older, maybe this is a, a fault of mine and not everybody. It's not as smooth when you're doing that. Who was Frank, the director of the Alumni Association? Way, way, way. That was, that was Frank Jones. Frank Jones sat next to me at the dais, and he said, Betty, are you nervous? He whispered to me, Betty, are you nervous? And I shook my head. He says, well, I'm going to hold your hand. And he held my hand the whole time, except for when I was standing at the microphone. I remember that vividly. So when I was going to the alumni office and getting information in the early stages of research for the Black Alumni Reunion, which predated the Neil Marshall Alumni Association. I'm, you know, you keep running across these people. It's a small world, but I don't think he remembered me or knew how much that meant to me. And uh, But I would answer him and talk to him and request things from him, and he would look surprised. And one day, a really kind of a stunning comment he made is, I'm glad you are brave enough to come and talk to me about this. And I thought, whoa. (laughs) And I didn't want to say, you know, I'm not brave. I know you and I don't, you know, I didn't really understand the comment, but it was so strange. So that was one. And it, it carried on, you know, and fed into others. But I was also um, chosen to be an alternate in an international encamp- encampment. And we trained and trained and trained, you know, you, it's, all, it's worse than boot camp, I guess, for the service people, because I've never been so toned and buff and strong and mind focused so well that I could really do anything in a nanosecond. And um, that was something. And um, let me see, that was high school. It's just been, you know, I've had a life of beautiful, beautiful things. Um, I know one moment that comes to mind for me is your family was tremendously honored when Jordan Avenue, the name of Jordan Avenue was changed. And uh, that was that was a, a milestone moment in my book. Uh, that was tremendous. that was one of the adult moments, no question. And it came like receiving this uh, <laughs> the award last night. It's stunning, mm-hmm. very stunning. I had done a lot of research for uh, the alumni association and what have you, and in that I had learned 
about my family, my grandfather and great-grandfather, because mother talked about her grandfather, who would be my great-grandfather for whom the, name, the street is named, um, often because she lost her father when she was three years old. So he hmm. was everything. We taught her role model, her everything. She just looked up to him. So, and um, so I just, it almost, it just still gives me chills to think how he must feel. He really was very instrumental in founding the Bethel AME Church at 7th and Rogers Street when the church, they, they had a church on 6th, which was destroyed by fire. And he, they said, oh, you know, we can't build another church. That's, that's too much. That's, we just can't do that. There's no way we could, you know, raise the money for that. And it put a schism in that church. And uh, so he went forward and said, no, we're going to build a church. And then there was another faction that said, we can't do that. And so they became um, the Walker Chapel at Grant and 10th, just off mm. Grant and 10th. Yeah. And that's where they held their church. And then after Bethel was built, and it took some time and fundraising and what have you, they returned and joined. You know, so it's 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 breathtaking when I think of all the things about the family. I can't imagine, you know, what right. it was like uh, thinking of JL when uh, my grandfather was at IU and he was playing football. He refused to play his senior year. <clears throat> he was an outstanding athlete and also a student. He was a brilliant student. And uh, then that was an athlete's that we have now, there were no scholarships and all that sort of thing. It was just like a club, but it was an outlet and it was something they could do and they really enjoyed it. And uh, so he played because they also in his freshman year played played baseball, but he uh, decided he couldn't do both sports and the academic uh, pressure at the same time. So he stuck with football, but he wouldn't play his senior year. My grandfather, who owned a barber shop, he was a businessman, had so many people coming to the barber. Make Preston play, you know. Why isn't he playing? Make him play. And his father wouldn't say anything to him about that. He says, no. He says, that's Preston's decision if he doesn't want to play. Well, I came to find out in my research, there were two members of his football team in his junior year who were jealous, angry, racist, whatever words you wish to put with it. And they they tried to kill him. They said, when we run this play, I'll hit him high, you hit him low, and, you know, that's going to break his neck or break his back. And hmm. one of the other players came to him and said, Preston, don't run the play the way it is set up because they're going to try to kill you. So he went the other way. He started out with the plane and he went the other way real quick. And they slammed into each other and knocked each other out cold. Wow. Wow. You know, uh, wow. And that, that's a whole, Liz, Liz, that, that is a whole show right there. But yeah. for those who've just tuned in, we are having a conversation this evening. The voice you just heard was Miss Betty Bridgewater, who's a recipient of the prestigious Outstanding Black Leader of Tomorrow's 2024 Living Legend Award. We also have with us this evening, Ms. J.L. Davis, an honoree in the category of Female High School Award recipient, 
They both are joining us this evening to reflect back on their life's journey and the significance that these honors hold with them. And um, Liz, I'll turn it over to you. Perhaps you have a question there for JL. Okay, I have a, a follow-up question for Betty. Um, Betty, like you, I understand having that family history. Um, I have a family history in Indianapolis, and it's kind of hard to follow what our ancestors had done and accomplished before us. And then with this particular generation, and I'm probably in the generation that you're in too, um, do you find it difficult to uh, pass this, whatever this is that our families have instilled in us to the next generation? And then the other generation after that, the younger generations following us. Um, in your family, are they listening? There are folks in my family, and one of them was my uh, escort last night, who have stuck on their own path. I mean, it's like you put out the values, you know, I think young people should be like damp sponges. Soak up everything, all the positive things, all the knowledge, everything you can, you know, wherever you are planted, bloom, you know. That's one of those quotes that stays with me. Bloom where you're planted uh, and make the best or the most of every situation. Well, some can do that and some don't have the tenacity or the personalities to to work at that. Mm -hmm. And they may want to go an easier route or, or just not. It, it shouldn't be that hard from there. And see, life is hard. It's also short now that I'm getting on the other end of it. <laughs> but uh, you should persevere. And I had all kinds of quotations about perseverance and how, you know, if you want to win something. My thing I share with people, and I don't know if this is a quote I had from anyone else except came from me, nothing great is achieved without focus. That may have been one of Ben May's quotes from, he was a, uh, President Emeritus of Morehouse College is passed now. But I have so many encouraging quotes from him. Nothing is achieved without focus. So when I'm researching and doing things, I, that's my main thing. Stay focused. Keep digging. You know, don't uh, allow yourself a lot of distractions. And I'm sure JL, in order to achieve what she's achieved, she hasn't allowed herself to be distracted. Well, some people are easily distracted. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, so yeah. we aren't all cut from the same cloth, even though we may be in the same family. We aren't all, you know, I mean, sometimes, uh, even cutting cloth, and here's another analogy, I guess, you can make a satin purse, or you can make a leather boot. You know, it's it's the materials matter. And what you do to make yourself stand and relevant if it's important to you. And see, some people only want to party and have a good time Yeah, as young people. When they get older, it's always, well, I wish I had, I wish I could have, uh, you know, all of those. Well, there's an old saying, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. <laughs> yeah. I am yeah. I am writing all these down too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> JL, I um I'm curious as and, and you probably said this 
at the at the banquet. But could you tell our listener audience, you're such a brilliant, smart, beautiful girl. I'm so proud of you. What do you want the future to look like for you? What is it that you want to accomplish? Well, I think that the future holds so many possibilities for me. But like for one thing that I'm certain is I want to continue to advocate for people who don't have the voice to speak or people who don't have the idea to take action and I want to strive to create a more equitable world for everyone that could be politically or like having some type of organization but I do want to continue to do work with equity and inclusion and diversity and things of that nature. Oh that's wonderful that's wonderful. Clarence? And and, uh, JL I want to follow up on that um what were your wow moments? And and I'm not going to take you through that as a child, as this, as that. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna streamline that a little bit. But what have been your most memorable wow moments that you sort of look back on and, and you have drawn from? I think my biggest wow moment was probably in when I first got here. Maybe my my ninth grade is kind of when I got here. My biggest wow moment was when there was, I'm pretty sure I said this on like other episodes, but um, it was when this guy was in the library and we were studying after school because I'm not really good at math. So I'll study after school sometimes to like uh, get help with my math and I remember out of nowhere, this guy starts yelling like extremely loud. And what he was yelling about was doing a reenactment of the George Floyd scene um, in the library. And so my biggest wow moment is when I said, that's not right. And then he said, well, what do you mean? It's just a joke. And I had to kind of explain to him um the harm and the the uncalled for um, thing that just happened in the library. And after that, one of my um, favorite teachers, like I love this teacher, she doesn't work there anymore, but she told me that it was good, like what I did and that no one else was saying anything, but me like speaking and telling the person that it wasn't right and simply not yelling at them, but walking them through like the harmful steps that they're doing and why it's not right was um, in a way moving. And it also reflected how we can stand up for things when it wasn't right. Like not even the adults were standing up. So she said like, me as number one, a freshman, and number two, as a child, to be able to stand up and understand that things aren't right was very powerful to her. And that was kind of like my motivation. And I have to say, wow. Yeah, I was going to say, wow. <laughs> yes. Um, um, that could have gone so many different directions. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wonderful. Lizzie. I'm sorry. Uh, Betty, do you have a question for JL? I only have kudos for JL. <laughs> what you are doing, your focus, your attention, your willingness to speak up and speak out 
in the moment. You know, some people say, well, I wish I would have said or I should have done this and maybe that. You are speaking up in the moment. And that is so admirable. I applaud you. Sincerely applaud you for that. Thank you so much. And don't lose sight of that. As your life will continue and you continue to do that. And you, as you said, not uh, yelling and screaming and putting people on the defensive. But the way you did it was just excellent. Mm. And I admire you for that as well. That's a skill that a lot of people do not have. When they are emotionally struck by something and offended, they react in a very powerful, negative punch way, not not something for educational persons and to alleviate the tension and do the, the learning, teaching. Yeah. And you are a constant teacher. Yeah. Thank you so much. One thing I want to go back to, Clarence, uh, you skipped all the way up to the naming of the Eagleson Avenue. Uh-huh. Another very powerful moment for me was the very first Black alumni a- reunion that we had at the end of the Four Winds. Oh, yeah. Ah. That weekend, we had a monsoon rain <laughs> that was not forecast, well, maybe forecast, was not anticipated. And we went forward and over 450 people made it to Bloomington and we had so many others who were stranded in Indianapolis or stranded in you know other parts of the state Kentucky airport and places and couldn't get here from there but we still it was over 450 people that gathered and they had not seen each other because they didn't have a great experience at IU. They received their education. They bonded with each other. I mean, a fierce bond and friendship with each other to get through it and survive it and what have you that puts people together. You know, when you feel like you have a common in- enemy, then and their goal was to get their education and they didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't let anything get in the way. They had a lot of helpers. Herman B. Wells said, you know, my door is open. Anytime you you know, need something or you have a question, come and talk to me. He lived on 10th Street, I mean, on college near 10th Street, and he would walk the campus. Well, he would come and walk every morning past the, um, what was the Mays house. And a lot of the campus stayed. There was a men's rooming house and uh, on his way to Bryan Hall. And he would always ask them, how is it going? Are there any problems? He would always, and and they mentioned that at the reunion, how he would stop and talk to them. And so here these people are who had not seen each other. And you would hear these nicknames scream (laughs) across the hotel (laughs) hallways and lobbies. Oh my goodness, there's Scooter. <laughs> All these names back slapping and hugging and tears of just pure joy and happiness. It was amazing. And Herman was, Dr. Wells was there and he just cried. He cried. Mm-hmm. And there's so many stories that came out of that of how he integrated what the Gables restaurant at that time was owned by Pulitzer, who happened to be president of the Restaurant Association. And Bloomington, in those days, in the 50s, you couldn't, you could work, well, there weren't even a lot of people who could work in anything like, uh, even the Graham Hotel, 
I remember one woman told me that she was so proud because she was an elevator operator there and she was the first black to ever work there, not even custodians, you know. So it's it's really was just such a magical moment when they came together to celebrate each other and the fact and, and they would help each other. Well, you're a major in math. Well, you need to go talk to Sam. Well, your major is teaching. Go talk to and and they really stayed together and quizzed each other and honed each other's skills, made each other better. No jealousy about oh, he'll get a better grade than I. None of that. It's like mm-hmm. they want each of them wanted the best out of themselves and each other, and they survived and thrived mm-hmm. and did well. And to be there for that moment and stand there at that banquet and they applauded me and I thought, whoa, <laughs> that was better than the father-daughter banquet. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, that was, and, and to see, you know, the culmination of that work, you know, mm-hmm. there, there yeah. was a lot that went into that, but yeah. uh, just, it was just, and then we, and then uh, we had a meeting out on the, the outside Sunday morning early after being up Saturday partying and having a wonderful time and uh, we weren't shocked but so many people were so shocked at how many people showed up they didn't think there would be very many there well we showed up (laughs) and uh, they decided you know that we should do it again and there was a contention about whether we should be part of the university and part of the alumni association or whether we should, you know, not just just keep having reunions on our own. And it ended up there there was a, a, a good sized faction that didn't want to do that, but there were enough who did, a majority uh, who did, that we decided we would uh, become part of the alumni association. And this was after we had had a second reunion, and Francis Marshall Eagleson stood up, and they were trying to think of a name. And we decided we would name it after the first male graduate and female graduate from Indiana University, the first graduates of record. And I think now the record is safe if there's no one else to be discovered. Uh, there were other students, but no, no, no degree finishers and uh, before them. And we ended up with this. We we're going to do it. The Neil Marshall. Club, I mean, the Neil Eagleson Club, because she was Frances Eagleson. And she said, no. She said, when I was here in school, my name was Marshall. I think it should be Neil Marshall. Well, we all whooped and stood up and applauded. And it's like, wow. So that was another chilling moment, you know, in my adulthood. It was it was just a wonderful thing. And the, your father was part of that. He was on that committee that uh, just really helped put all of that together. It was great. Well, you, you know, I, I grew up um, hearing of the No Marshall Alumni Club and then these uh, these prolific 10 founders of the Neil yes. Marshall Alumni Club. And it was you could recite their names like a song. There was Baker Bundles and you just go down the whole list. Yes. <laughs> and and just and really not only at reunions, but you said I was brought down to football games back uh 69 when john pont was head coach and so we sat up there and, and the likes of uh mr bundles and mr talaferro and the likes i heard stories yes some i will never repeat <laughs> yes. but it was it was it was truly a remarkable time for me but i am not being interviewed here we have two phenomenal young ladies that are being interviewed jail i do want to ask you and i'm going to ask you betty the same question jail what what keeps you centered 
and or balance. Now, now we heard about your time management skills, but what keeps you centered and or balanced? Better ask Betty. Okay, Betty, uh, same question. I think JL is uh, sort of manipulating the audio there, but Betty, what keeps you centered and or balanced? What I am blessed. And that's the most powerful thing to know that you are blessed and highly favored. When you look back over your life, it's like whatever you've gone through, you mm-hmm. see that you did come through. Mm-hmm. And you know, the source of your power is really more in you. But God in me keeps me focused, keeps me determined, keeps me going. Getting up in the morning, going to bed at night, it is just, if you have something in you, there are a lot of things that influence you from the outside. Mm -hmm. But at some point in your life, it is important for me, this is me, I mean, it's a personal statement and it may affect millions of others. You need to sort out who you are and then stand. Having undone all, stand and i think jl could relate to that right you just do your best do all you can now if you feel like you're sloughing off a little bit well i'm tired so i don't think i'll do that or i won't finish that uh that's self-sabotaging behaviors and you don't want to self-sabotage yourself there are enough forces out here that put you down and cut your legs out from under you and do all that so Mm -hmm. you have to know and have the faith and determination to just stand and go forward and know who you are. And it's not something that's magic to pick up on. Right. It's more like as you experience life and you come things, you overcome things. It's like the old song says, when I look back and wonder how I got over, how did I do that? Because even forming the Neil Marshall Club, it just started with George Talaferro and I. Mm-hmm. And he was so devastated when... Um, Bill Garrett passed because when uh, Coffee um, had passed, one of his classmates, and he said, Bill, I promise you, before another classmate dies, we're going to get together. Or he mm-hmm. was thinking of yeah. a dinner party or something, or get a, like you gather for funerals, get all those folks to come together and celebrate yeah. each other. So I said to him, sounds to me like you need to have a reunion. And he says, oh, baby, that's too much. We can't do that. Well, he was so down. I've not seen him like that. He was really concerned. I said, wow. I said, you know, what's going on? I said, you're not yourself today. And then he told me about Bill Garrett and that promise. And so you don't know what's going to light a match mm-hmm. that can really propel things beyond anything you imagined would occur. And that's, you know, a wonderful, wonderful situation to be in. And I was blessed that I was there at that time and things took hold at that moment. And I mm-hmm. just told him and he says, well, well, we can't do that. And I said, I don't know whether we can or not, but let's see what we can do and whatever works out. If we get a hundred people to come, that's success. <laughs> and I had him Right now, I said, you know, you have people you've stayed in touch with because I hear you talking to them on the phone. And I said, you probably have folks you send Christmas cards and birthday cards to out of that group. Mm-hmm. Get their names and addresses and, you know, we'll go from there. And the rest is history. Yeah. But if you have a belief in yourself and a belief that can do, you know, kind of type thing, it wasn't me saying, oh, we can't do that. But I 
was once uh, in Kansas, Topeka, Kansas. And I think the saddest thing, I was in the black community and there were people talking, oh, you know, they're not going to let us do that. We can never do that. And I thought, I used to tell students, I said, you go as far as you can go. Because I'm hearing them say, you know, they, don't, they, they, I don't know who the they are, won't let us do that. I said, you go as far as you can go until someone stands in front of you and spreads their arms out and says no further. And then you challenge them. Right. And see if you can, you know, right. go further. <laughs> but that worked for me. Well, you know, on that note, and, and it's at that time now we do want to ID uh, this particular segment of bringing on for those who just joined us. Again, the voice you just heard uh, was none other other than Miss Betty Bridgewaters, who affectionately known as Betty. Uh, She's a recent recipient of the prestigious Outstanding Black Leader of Tomorrow's 2024 Living Legend Award. Also joining us is Miss J.L. Davis, an honoree in the category of Female High School Award recipient, for joining us uh, to talk about, uh, both of them, uh, their life journey, reflecting back on... on, uh, you know, just moments that have transformed them, moments that have challenged them, moments that awaken within them this passion and this drive, and the significance that this honor holds for them. Uh, JL, I want to pose that same question to you now about what keeps you centered and balanced as you go through your week-to-week activities, month-to-month, and what has sort of been your guiding light on your life's journey? Something that's definitely kept me centered is um, God. So I'm very a strong believer in um, God and my faith. And like a verse that always keeps me motivated is actually in Psalms. And it talks about how the Lord is your strength and your um, shield and that you should put your trust in him and um, how he can help you. And I think that's very motivating. I think sometimes because I'm so busy and doing so many things, academic extracurriculars I forget to be centered with God and um, I'm continually working on that every single day and um, that is kind of like a motivation and a guiding light for me um, to not fear that he's my protection as along with like supportive friends and family members so those are like my top three things that keep me centered um and giving me the ability to persevere throughout my days even though sometimes I might feel very overwhelmed um God and my family have always been uh those people to keep me calm and reserved and centered uh Liz I, I I pass it off to you Oh, Brody, thank you, Clarence. Uh, JL, um, th- th- this may sound kind of funny, but I could, because you're young, but I'd like to know what advice would you have to someone that's entering high school? So I have a lot of advice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If I had to say, um, like one thing, I think uh to take a break like I know so many people in in my class as a whole that kind of prioritize academics or other things 
over their mental health and like one of my uh top things would definitely be focus on your mental health and it's okay to take breaks um and times to yourself because eventually you're gonna burn out so prioritizing yourself and making time for yourself along with having friends and family members to support you is like my number one um like type of advice for someone who's entering in high school Ah, very good. Very good. Well, as we don't have much time left, but uh, I would like to ask Betty about this. Betty, you were just so beautiful and it was just wonderful to see you get that award at the gala. You deserved it, much deserved. What is your take on trying to preserve the Black history here in Bloomington or anywhere else, but particularly here? What steps do we need to take? I led and suggested and did as much as I could do when I was on the Black History Month committee. Mm -hmm. I um, wanted to participate and support, so I went to all of the events. And now <clears throat> I'm not able to stand very long or walk very far, so you'll see me if it's going to amount to much of that, I'll be in a wheelchair or, you know, I, I've tried to figure out, I'm better, but <clears throat> during COVID that really took a, a, did a number on me because I lost a lot of muscle mass. And so that's why I'm not continuing on. But in answer to your question, the only way we will preserve black history in Bloomington or history of people of color now that they're right. more you know it's, it's more diverse than it was back in the day <clears throat> it uh it's important that we put a priority on it and that we jl is a wonderful example she should be supported, encouraged. The Black community should be lifting her arms and doing all they can to help her actualize what she's doing. Mm -hmm. We used to do, you know, one of these at churches and everything. Well, not everybody's in church now. A lot of them are religious, but not in church. And so they still have some strongholds, but that can't carry the ball now in these times. Because we have a lot of people who grew up in church and say, well, I'm going to put this Bible down and I'm going to tell you what I think. <laughs> and that's not very good. And they become competitive. I noticed the men's and women's days, boy, that's more like a competition to see who's going to raise the most money versus focusing on the spiritual, from my point of view, the spiritual side of things and having spiritual growth and a sense of community. And that's what I miss in Bloomington is that strong black community. Now we had a banquet the other night. We were all there hugging and talking to each other and cheering each other on. But that's one night in 365 days that we have people from all of the areas come together from the university, from the town, from the churches, from the unchurched, from clubs and non-clubs you know we don't have the fraternal organizations that helped us do this before here in bloomington we had the the, the black masons we had the elks we had 
women's groups and clubs. And that gave us a social life, but also a focus for celebrating each other. And now we have fraternal organizations and everything. And as long as it isn't a competition and they're lifting each other up to do all of us, you know, to make, to make it a better community. I'm for that, Mm -hmm. but it's, and these killings, guns everywhere. Yeah. In the hands of young people. And we know that frontal lobe is not going to be, fully developed for judgment and decision-making until they're, they, they, they used to say, well, we put the age of 21. Now it's more like 25 or six. And if they're using any drugs or other things, that seems to delay that process. So they aren't fully mature at that time. They'll, if they stop, then they will you know, get there later. So that's a question that we should have many, many groups and discussions on because mm-hmm. we need the input from everyone. I would like to know what young people on JL think, what people who are in their 30s and 40s think. And then, you know, our, our, these seniors can put our input in there from our life's experience. But I'm going to tell you what young people grow up learning and doing now was not my life. I had parents, both a mother and father at home, and all my friends, you know, pretty much had mothers and fathers at home. And I had uh, the the, uh, the Confederated Women's Clubs, the Happy Hour Club. June Hammond sponsored the Young Club that we were in. So I was in the National Association of Girls Clubs. It used to be called Colored Girls Clubs, and then it became Girls Clubs. Mm-hmm. And so we we had very productive things, and you had adult guidance. Mm-hmm. Until yeah. that frontal lobe is fully developed, it's good to be open so that young people feel comfortable coming to you and say, do you think this will be all right? Or what do you think about this? And then support them and, and assist them in every way you can, financially and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Be the cheerleader for the positive and don't make a big issue and put it on the front page, all the negative. I'm, I'm really astounded to find that news is scintillation. It's entertainment news now. And I miss Edward R. Merle <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, <clears throat> It's, it's it's just journalism has changed so differently and uh, it's it's a concern but yes can we do it we yes we but it'll take more determination and focus and more all of us joining and just what JL was saying accept it you may not have all the right answers but speak up yeah and speak out and don't put other people down educate them. I love that about JL. She educated people. She wasn't trying to say, no, you're not going to talk to me like that. Da, 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 da. That's so demeaning. I can't, you hurt my feelings. She didn't go there. She educated. And yeah. I applaud her for that. The young people with the older people applauding them when they're doing worthwhile things and when they're strong, that's right. how it is. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, well, we'll have to end this now. Go ahead, uh, Clarence. Well, um, you know, this was so beautiful to have two different perspectives and so much agreement with the perspectives and 
Um, we do look forward to what the future holds for, for both of you. Um, you know, Betty, I've always appreciated you and admired you for your love of history. And same with Liz. I'm honored to have worked both with you and Liz. Liz is an historian. You're an historian. And uh, history can serve us well. And if we don't preserve and appreciate our history, then someone can, as they say, uh, well, alter history. And that, we see that going on today. But anyway, on that note, we want to thank Miss Betty Bridgewaters, recipient of the prestigious Outstanding Black Leader of Tomorrow's 2024 Living Legend Award, and Miss J.L. Davis, an honoree in the category of Female High School Award recipient, for joining us this evening to reflect back on their life journeys and the significance that these honors hold with them. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address is bringiton at wfhb.org. And also, if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. And once again, that email address is bringingon at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is myself, Liz Mitchell. Our consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Our program engineer is Sean our original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.